The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, last week and we began a brand new series, and this series is going to take us all the way through the Gospel of John. It's going to take us all the way up until Easter. And so today, before we jump into the text that we're going to be studying together this morning, I want to begin um, by simply addressing something that the Apostle John addresses that uh, you've experienced. He addresses this, in fact, all throughout his Gospel. It's something that you've experienced. It's something that you have wrestled with. It's something that you have felt in your life. Perhaps the most misunderstood and the most misused words in all of Christianity are these two words right here, the words faith and believe. And see, the interesting thing about this is that in every other area of our life, we understand exactly what it is that these words mean. But for some reason, whenever they get dropped into the context of church or they get dropped into the context of following Jesus, that meaning seems to change. Because in the real world, right, we all know what it means to believe something and we believe things based on evidence, right? You make choices and decisions about what you believe based on evidence, what you hear, what you read, and what you see, right? That's how we come to believe things in the real world. We also make choices on what we believe based on the confidence that we have in the person who is conveying that information to us, right? Evidence, what we see, what we hear, what we read, as well as our confidence in the person who is giving us that information. In the real world, all of us know what it means to believe something, and all of us know what it means to have faith in something, And see, what John wants us to understand, and this is going to be difficult for some of us to to believe this or to get a hold of this, and it's going to be challenging for some of us, is that these words, faith and believe, they do not take on some sort of a special meaning as soon as you drop them into the context of Jesus or church or following Jesus. And see, this is what's so strange, right? If you stop and think about it for a moment, because as soon as the context for those words become Jesus, for some reason, oftentimes these words are divorced from reason and they are confused with hope. Right? And see, all of us, we know what hope is. Right? It's like, I hope he doesn't get lost. Well, did he get lost last time? Yes. Did he get lost the time before that? Yes. Did he get lost the time before that? Yes. Well, I hope he doesn't get lost this time. Well, that's hope. Right? And it's good. It's good to have hope. Right? But hope and faith just like hope and belief, are two different things. And yet, unfortunately, for some reason, when it comes to discussions of Jesus and following Jesus, for some reason, we end up hearing things like, well, you just have to believe, right? You just got to take it by faith. In fact, you just need to have more faith, right? Somebody has probably said that to you at some point in your life. It was really a very silly thing to say when you think about it because you either believe something or you don't. Now, I get it. The truth is, all of us have times in our lives where we're trying to figure out exactly what it is that we believe, right? That's true. But whenever it comes to discussions of Jesus and following Jesus and who is Jesus, do you know what John's response to those kind of questions or ideas would be? It says who? Where'd you get that from? Really? Jesus never teaches that. The New Testament authors, they they never teach that. In fact, you don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. And so as we journey with Jesus together through the Gospel of John up and through to the time of Easter, some of you are going to discover a whole new way to think about these words, faith 
and, and believe. Because, see, if you were to ask John himself what it is that he believes about Jesus, John would tell you. He would be the first one to tell you, listen, I didn't believe that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be because somebody just came along and said, well, you just got to have faith. In fact, if that's the reason that you believe, if you're a follower of Jesus today and the only reason you believe is because someone says, well, you just got to believe, well, I've got some good news for you. Right? There is more to it than that. To, than that. In fact, I've got some great news for you, and you really need to pay attention to what the more to it than that part is. Right? Otherwise, somebody may actually come along and talk you out of your faith because nobody has taken the time to talk you into it, to disciple you into it into the first place. Right? In fact, this is, you know, this is not, I didn't come up with this. People are much smarter than me that have been studying this for years. What they've come to realize is that the reason why so many people in our world today stop following Jesus or walk away from following Jesus is because when the basis of your faith in Jesus is just you got to, right, or you need to have more of, when that's the basis or the foundation of your faith, then faith is easy to be talked out of because you've never been talked in, you've never been discipled into it in the first place. Because as we're going to discover, there is an enormous difference, right? There is a huge difference between by faith and because of faith. In fact, if you were to ask the Apostle John himself, why is it that he left his father's fishing business to follow Jesus? He he would tell you, listen, I didn't go follow Jesus because of faith. I followed Jesus because of what I saw, not because of faith. And so what I want us to do today as we begin and as we pick up, as we continue moving through the the gospel of John, I want us to begin by actually looking at the very end of John's letter. Because what John is doing in his letter, he is not content to simply tell us what has happened. He tells us why it's happened. And he tells us why he wants us to know that it's happened. And so I want us to look at the very end of John's letter, then we're going to come back and we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. So if you're using your own Bible today, or if you're using a Bible app, you need to highlight this verse. At the very end of his book, John writes these words. He says, Jesus performed many other signs, we're going to come back to that in a minute, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And when John says this book, he does not mean the Bible. That is not what John means. What he means is the letter that we know of as the Gospel of John, the document that he is dictating. And so what John is saying is, okay, you've come to the end of my account of the life of Jesus, and I've told you some of the things that Jesus said, but the truth is, he said a lot more. I've told you some of the things that Jesus did, but the truth is, he did a lot more. But these things I have chosen, these very specific things, these are written that. Right? In other words, this is his purpose, right? This is his reason for writing the letter in the first place. John says, I want you, right? These are written that you may believe. He's saying, I want you to believe. He's not, don't miss this. He's not saying just believe. He's not saying just have more faith. That's not what John's saying. He's saying, no, 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 I want you to journey with me. I want you to experience what I have experienced as I have followed Jesus. And my hope, John would say, my hope is that in doing that, what you will be convinced of when you experience what I experienced with Jesus is that Jesus is 
who Jesus claims to be. John is not simply telling us what to believe. He's building a case as to why we should believe it. Because John did not believe in this crazy idea that faith is just this thing that kind of hangs out on its own someplace. But believe what? What does John want us to believe about Jesus? He wants us to believe something very, very specific. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And here's why. Because there is a result, John is going to tell us. There is a result to placing your faith in Jesus as your Savior. There is a result in understanding and believing Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And that by believing, by placing your faith in him, you may have life in his name. In other words, what John is explaining to us is that the sequence of events which took place, which led John to believing that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be, that very sequence is the same sequence that he uses in his gospel, that he uses in this letter that he is writing. And here's why this sequence is so important, because John never tells us, I placed my trust in Jesus and I hoped it all worked out somehow. He never says that. In fact, all throughout his account, as well as Matthew, Mark, and Luke's, what we discover are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. They believed, and then they disbelieved. And then they had questions again, and then they weren't quite so sure. And then they believed again. These men were not easy to convince. They were not superstitious. They were trying to sort it all out and figure it all out and put it together. And in the end... It wasn't something outside of themselves. It wasn't, some, or it wasn't some random idea hanging out there. It wasn't something they cocked up inside of themselves, some idea that they created. It wasn't that that moved them. It was what they saw, and it was what they heard. And so John, in his letter, he doesn't give to us just a, a bunch of random things that Jesus said or a bunch of random things that Jesus did. He gives us the events. He gives us the signs. He gives us the evidence And he's hoping that by doing that, the Holy Spirit will give to you the faith that you need to believe. And so John organizes his entire account around signs, seven signs. The first of which we looked at last weekend, which was Jesus turning water into wine. And if you weren't here with us, then you need to go back and rewatch that because RJ did a fantastic job leading us through that that event in the life of Jesus And again, John very intentionally, this is so important for us to understand as people who live in a modern world, right? John very intentionally, he chooses to use the term sign rather than the word miracle. Because the supernatural acts of Jesus, he wants us to understand this, the miracles of Jesus, the healings, the walking on water, all those things, those were not random acts of kindness and it wasn't just Jesus showing off, right? It wasn't any of that. These were very, very specific events that pointed to Jesus' identity. Right? They pointed to his identity. Now, it's easy for us to get enamored with the signs. Right? It's easy for us to get enamored with the miracles, especially when you need one. Right? But see, John knew that that was a mistake. And John makes it clear in his gospel, these events, these miracles, they did not happen every day. And their purpose was to point people to the identity of Jesus. And so John does his best to help us not become enamored with the miraculous, 
but rather to become enamored with the one the miraculous points to. Take out your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 3, which is on page 1,649 if you're using one of those Bibles in front or behind you this morning. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, John tells us that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, this council was also known as the Sanhedrin, and it was kind of like our Congress and our Supreme Court all rolled up into one. And it consisted of about 70 men, and their job was to represent the nation of Israel to Rome. And John, it's so interesting that he actually gives to us this man's name, because you've heard me say this before. This is a verifiable detail, right? It's as if John is saying, okay, again, fact check me on this whole story. What you'll discover is that what I'm telling you is true. And John tells us that Nicodemus, he came to Jesus at night. Now, did he come to Jesus at night because he, couldn't have, he didn't have time to see him during the day? Or did he come to Jesus at night because he didn't want other people to see him talking with Jesus? Right? We don't know. But what we do know is that John tells us what he said to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know. Right? That, that is, we are certain. And see, this is a big deal because we here means that he's representing a group. And the group that he's representing is the Sanhedrin. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, he says, who has come from God. Now, this is an extraordinary thing for Nicodemus to say to Jesus. Because what he's saying to Jesus is, okay, Jesus, listen, we understand. We know. Jesus, we know there's a lot of things about you that we don't know. We know there are even some things about you that that we don't like. But Jesus, what we are certain of, what we cannot deny, is that clearly, clearly you have come from God. Because not only do we know that by what you say, no, Jesus, we know that no one could perform the signs. Right? Because they realized the same thing that John realized. It was clear to Nicodemus and the Sanhedrin that these signs were pointing in a very, very specific direction. These were highly educated men. And they knew that clearly the person doing these signs, they must come from God because no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, up until this point, really, it's Nicodemus who's done all the talking, but that is about to change because Jesus is going to do that Jesus thing that he does where he answers the question that the person wants to ask before they even get a chance to ask it. And so Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, Okay, Nicodemus, listen, I know why you're here, right? I know why you've come, right? And the truth is, Nicodemus, no one, I tell you the truth, no one, Jesus says, can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born Again, Nicodemus, I know what you're, why you're here. I know what your question is. You know that I've come from God, but, but listen, I'm not talking like other people that you would consider to be very godly. Nicodemus, my categories are different, aren't they? They're bigger than the traditional Jewish categories. And so let me just get right to the heart of the matter, Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, this is so confusing to Nicodemus because he's thinking, what do you mean I can't see the kingdom of God? I'm Jewish, right? Because for Jewish people in the first century, the kingdom of God was the kingdom of Israel. 
What, what do you mean I won't even see it? I was born into it. And Jesus says, no. No, no. You have to be born again. You, you have to be born literally from above, Jesus says. Now, at this point, I think Nicodemus um, kind of chuckles as he's talking to, to, to Jesus because he's thinking Jesus is just teasing him. What, what do you mean born again? Rabbi, Rabbi, how can someone who is old, right, how can someone who is old enter into their mother's womb to be born again? He knows that what Jesus is saying doesn't mean literally but he doesn't quite understand what Jesus is getting at. And so Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter. Right? First, you're not going to see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, because you're not going to recognize it. But second, you'll never get in. Right? No one can enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says, unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, okay, wait a minute, time out, Jesus. You're actually serious. I thought you were just messing with me. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? And Jesus tells him, well, Nicodemus, you know how it works, right? Flesh gives birth to flesh. Jewish people, they have Jewish people. Roman people, right, they have Roman people. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You understand this, Nicodemus. Congratulations, Nicodemus, your flesh got you into the kingdom of Israel. But Nicodemus, spirit gives birth to spirit. It takes something different. It takes something entirely different to be born into the kingdom of God. Your flesh got you into the kingdom of Israel, Nicodemus, but it takes something entirely different to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. And now Jesus chuckles. Come on, Nicodemus. You should not be surprised at me saying these things. Come on, Nicodemus. You are Israel's teacher. You should not be surprised at this. Nicodemus, you know the wind blows wherever it pleases. Right? Jesus launches into another illustration. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And see, Jesus is using a, a little bit of, of wordplay here. Because in the Greek, the, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the exact same word. They're the word noustos. And so Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, the spirit's like the wind. You know there's wind. right? You can see the effects of the wind. You can hear the wind. But Nicodemus, listen, you don't control it. And you don't contain it. And so it is, Nicodemus, with the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, listen, I understand that many, many years ago, God made a promise to our ancestor Abraham that he would become a great family and, in fact, become a great nation. And that God even chose one of our ancestors, Moses, and he made an exclusive covenant with Moses that, that, that we would be the ones who would receive God's commandments. Nicodemus, I know God made an exclusive relationship with our people, with our nation. But come on, Nicodemus, you know our nation, Israel, it is a means to an end. Because, Nicodemus, you know in the end, 
The entire world is going to be given an invitation to become a part of the kingdom of God. And there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And that invitation will be extended to everyone. And entrance into this kingdom, the kingdom of God, it requires a second birth, a spiritual birth. And Nicodemus is just so confused. He doesn't have a category for any of this. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, how? Right? How can this be? In other words, how did I miss this? And Jesus looks at him and he says, okay, Nicodemus, come on. You are Israel's teacher. And you do not understand these things? And so this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, it goes back and forth and back and forth. And Nicodemus, he is just so confused and he is just completely bewildered. He's not resisting. He's just like some of you. He just doesn't get it. He can't put it together. And Jesus can see that. And so he, he looks for an illustration, something that he knows that Nicodemus will understand. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 14, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. And Nicodemus is like, okay, finally, finally I understand what you're talking about, Jesus. I remember that story. Right? I remember that when our ancestors, when the nation of Israel was leaving Egypt and they were going to the promised land, I remember they had to go through the wilderness. And a part of that wilderness was infested with poisonous snakes. And all of our people, they were getting bit by these snakes and they were getting sick and they were in pain. And Jesus, some of them were even dying. And then the craziest thing happened because, because Moses, he took uh, and he made a bronze sculpture of one of those snakes and he put it on a pole and then they carried it throughout the camp and anyone in the camp who was sick or was dying, when they looked at that serpent up on that pole, all of a sudden they were healed. Jesus, I know exactly what you're talking about. That is an incredible story. And Jesus continues. So the Son of Man must be lifted up like the snake on the pole? Really, Jesus? And Jesus, you said son of man. Son of man, that's like code for Messiah. Jesus, what are you saying here? Jesus, are you telling me that the Messiah is going to be lifted up on a pole? Jesus, how can that be? Wait a minute, how is that possible? Clearly, because Jesus, we know. Right? The scriptures tell us that whenever a man is put on a pole, whenever a man is impaled on a pole or lifted up on a tree, or I don't know, hoisted up on a Roman cross, clearly that is a sign that that man has been cursed by God. Jesus, are you telling me that the Son of Man, that the Messiah, that, that he is going to suffer and that he is going to be cursed by God? And Jesus just continues, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And Nicodemus is like, okay, Jesus, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Listen, we already know how to get eternal life. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's how you get eternal life, Jesus. Everybody knows that. You keep the commandments, Jesus. That's how you get eternal life. Jesus, we know how to get eternal life. You do what God tells you to do. That's how you get eternal life. And Jesus, are you telling me, really, that from now on, 
Let me see if I've got this straight. Eternal life is going to be offered to everyone? Because the Messiah is going to be stuck on a pole signifying that he has been cursed by God? Really? Now we have to pause here for just a minute because it's so important for us to remember that much of what Jesus taught, much of what Jesus explained would not make any sense until after his resurrection. Right? Think about it for a minute. These events, all of them, they're happening in history, right? In a particular order, in a particular sequence. And John, along with Matthew and Mark and Luke, they're just writing and documenting what it is that they saw and what it is that they experienced with Jesus. But they're doing that after all of these events have taken place, after the ending has already happened. And so every once in a while what happens is the gospel writers, they pause the story or the conversation or the event, whatever's taking place, and then they make some additional comments along the way to make sure that their reader or their listener tracks with the story. Now, the truth is, we do this all the time. You do this all the time whenever you're telling other people your stories, right? It's one of the reasons why you should take the gospels seriously, Because this was written exactly the way you would expect it to be written by someone who wants to communicate all the facts, but who at the very same time wants to make sure that the listener or the reader does not get lost in the detail. And see, that is exactly what John is doing for us between this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Because not only did Nicodemus not understand what Jesus was talking about, John, who was there, he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about either because Jesus was pointing to something that hadn't happened yet. Something that nobody had a category for. A suffering, dying, stuck-on-a-pole Messiah. Jesus, come on. Nobody is looking for that. Nobody is waiting for that. That is a bad ending, Jesus, to the wrong story. And so John. John pauses the story that he's telling us about this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus who could not possibly know what Jesus was talking about because it hadn't happened yet. But see, when John looked back on this event and how important it was and how significant it was, he does not want you to miss it. And so John writes the most profound words, perhaps, ever written in the history of humanity, John has no idea that the next 26 words that he is about to write will become some of the most famous, the most significant words that have ever been written. 26 words that will change the world his friend would die to save. For God so loved the world that he gave Right? He hasn't given it yet. Right? It hasn't happened yet. That's why nobody can understand it. That's why Nicodemus can't figure it out. He gave his one and only son. That whoever, John says. And then John pauses because he realizes he has a little bit of a dilemma. It's like John is thinking to himself, okay, i got to make sure to get this part right. Because listen, it's not whoever believes that. Right? It's not just a bunch of facts. It, it, it is whoever believes in. 
But the problem that John faces is that in the Greek language, there is no word for trust. There's only the word believe. And so John does something incredibly unique, and he takes two words, the Greek word for believe along with another word. And up until this point in history, we never find them together. The first place this word shows up in any part of Greek is in this part of John's letter. And John writes this word, believe in, as in trust in. Whoever believes in, whoever trusts in, will not perish, will not be lost, will not be lost to God. But, John says, but in the biggest contrast possible, but instead have eternal life. 26 words written by a man who saw things that we can't even begin to comprehend. And he knows that somehow he has to document all of it. But he doesn't want his letter in the language of his community, which would be Aramaic. He doesn't even want it in the language of his own people, which would be Hebrew. He wants it in Greek because Greek is the language of the empire and Greek is the language of the world. And John, more than anyone else, seemed to understand that the sign of Jesus was a sign of For the whole world. And so he wanted his letter in a language the whole world could understand. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Right? John's telling us God didn't send his son into this world to line up all the sinners and tell them all about their sin. He didn't come to the scene of an accident to lecture those people who had been injured. He just went to work, John says, to save the world through himself. That when Jesus realized what the world needed was a blood transfusion, he used his own. And suddenly, in that moment, John brings us back to the very beginning of his book. And John the Baptist and the banks of the Jordan River. And everyone, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. For God, don't miss this, for God, not just Jesus. For God, he loved the whole world. And so he gave. Right? This is what you do when you love. When you love, you give. When you love, you give. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, right here it is, believes in, as in trusts in. The way that you become a follower of Jesus, it's not because of some manufactured thing out there called faith. No, it's because you become a follower of Jesus because all of the evidence points to the conclusion that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be. That's why you become a follower of Jesus. You become a follower of Jesus by faith. By faith created in you by the Holy Spirit. Faith which, as John is explaining to us, faith which believes in Jesus, which trusts in Jesus. That's how you get connected. That's how you will be, as Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus, born again, born into a brand new kingdom. A kingdom that will never perish. A kingdom where you will never perish. But instead have, right? Have. Be defined by eternal life. Now back to Jesus and Nicodemus for just a moment and then we'll wrap up. We have no idea what Nicodemus made of his conversation with Jesus that night. John kind of leaves us hanging. You can read the end of the chapter for yourself. 
But eventually we do know that Nicodemus got it, that it clicked. Right? And here's how we know. When Jesus was being crucified, Jesus, certainly Nicodemus was there. He was in the crowd. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. Right? And you've got to try to picture this moment in your mind. Right? He's there. And, and there's this huge crowd of people. And Nicodemus, all he can see are the backs of the heads of the people who are standing in front of him. And he knows somewhere in the front of that huge crowd is Jesus. He believes that Jesus has come from God. And he knows Jesus has been arrested. And as he's looking over the tops of the heads of the people who are standing in front of him, all of a sudden he sees it lifted up. A cross. And on that cross hangs Jesus. And he's thinking to himself, this can't possibly be happening. It's not what any of us expected. Abandoned by God. Cursed by God. Abandoned by his own people. Not what any of us expected. But exactly what Jesus predicted a sign so that you may believe. Let me pray for us this morning. Holy Spirit, my prayer is that as we journey together through these events, through these signs, as we examine this evidence, as we experience all of it through the eyes and in the words of John, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would simply continue to do in us and through us what you have been doing in the hearts and lives of people for centuries who have heard these words, who have listened and who have studied to these words and, and experienced these events through the eyes and through the words of John. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change hearts, that you would change lives, that you would give hope, that you would create faith, and that by faith, we would believe that the promise of Jesus the sign of Jesus is a promise for each of us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.